Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back. Here we go. Two hours today. Six o'clock, the cutoff time. That's when UTEP football with Dana Dimmel will take the airwaves from the Moon Tower Sports Bar. Along with uh, Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Got a big show lined up for you today. Jay Jaffe going to join us at 420. Bernie Olivas at 5. John Teicher at 545. Following UTEP's big win yesterday on the court. They beat up Solros State like they were supposed to. I mean, let's be honest. Um, my concern for the last, I don't know, thousand years with UTEP is um, some teams uh, play up and down to their competition. This group went out and did exactly what they were supposed to do against Sol Ross State, beat them by 40 points. Um, let's be honest, it's a totally different team from last year. It really is. Uh, we've, we've talked about this um, at length. I know there weren't a ton of calls on minor talk last night because it was Sol Ross State, not New Mexico State or Texas. But, you know, how many times have we watched this team, like, struggle to have? Maybe they're down, they're they're up by a few. Then they end up winning by, you know, 15, 20 points. But, you know, when you play uh, a D3 school, an inferior school like Sol Ross State, because they are, they're inferior to UTEP, there's no doubt about it. You should beat up a team like that and beat them like they did last night. There's just no doubt about it. And it's a good thing to see. And, um, you know, next week's games in the Jim Forbes Classic are not going to be as easy as you think. Alcorn State beat Wichita State on the road, okay? They beat Wichita State on the road. Um, uh, this is is not going to be next Tuesday nearly as easy of an opponent as you might think. Uh, it'll be a little bit more of a challenge, which is good. That's what I want. That's what I want to see. And, you know, a team that can go ahead and, and, and make things a little more difficult. They also won at Stephen F. Austin. So Alcorn State did that. Um, Texas A&M Corpus Christi, they were a tournament team last year, Adrian, weren't they? Yeah, that's exactly right. Returning six of players from last season, uh, we and they uh, they thrumped a team like UTSA earlier this year, the 75-55. So that just goes to show you right now that this team is, you know, these teams are not going to come in, uh, and, and UTEP's just going to expect to walk right in and win. Plus, I love the fact that UTEP's playing three games in the next four days starting next Tuesday. That's going to be a good little test for them because when you play in these multi-team uh, exempt tournaments like they will over Thanksgiving week, uh, it tests you a little bit having to play three times in four days, especially with UTEP and their style. They are defense in your face for 40 minutes. I want to see them do that for 120 minutes and see how they hold up. Yeah, me too. I want to see what this uh, group is really made of. And I, I thought that last year during the Sun Bowl Invitational, they really grew up. Uh, it was a loss to Bradley that year. Uh, they, they beat North Carolina Central. But I think having two of these this year, I mean, I'm not counting uh, the uh, Sun Bowl Invitational this year as an MTE specifically, but having a three-game stretch where they're at home, having another three-game or two-game stretch in December when they're at home, that's that's big for this group. And, and having these games to test them before conference play because – well, we're seeing so far out of the mid-major ranks, not necessarily Conference USA, but there's just a ton of parity, and it's mostly due to all the transfers that happen over the offseason, all the exactly. different movement that we've seen. Uh, Alcorn State's a quality group. Texas A&M Corpus Christi is not bad. Cal State Bakersfield, that's a group that, hey, in the past, they've beat the likes of NMSU, so I don't think any of those teams are givens. I think that on paper, if fans are looking at it, they're going to say, 
well, Alcorn State, why would I go watch UTEP and Alcorn State? Well, you're not even giving it a chance and looking at what, what that team really brings to the table, and they're not that bad, especially when you look at them on paper. 100%. 100%. So um, it'll be fun. It's going to be different, and uh, I'm excited about that. And, you know, I'm excited about this team. I, I really am, and I think fans will start to get there too. Uh, it's going to take some time. Uh, there's still a work in progress offensively. I don't care if they score 99 points or or, or, or you know what. It doesn't matter. They still, you know, you watch this team and say to yourself, all right, um, even yesterday, let's just, you know, take yesterday's game and really the uh, the breakdown and how it worked for UTEP uh, last night in their win and uh, who scored. A um, lot of balance. We knew that. But you think about it. Calvin Solomon finishes with four. Onyema has 11. Frazier has 23. 10 for um, for um, Lemus. 13 for Sibley. 13 for Kalu. By the way, how about Kevin Kalu going three for five from the line? He heard you. He did. He did. So three for five from the line, 13 points. They had, they had you know five guys in double figures. They had... Um, Eight from Tay Hardy, and then you know you look at the rest. I mean, everybody, everybody in the game that played scored, including Antoine Holmes. So, you know that's that's important. And by the way, Antoine Holmes got almost eight minutes of play yesterday. Good to see he gets a little extra time. So uh, they emptied the bench minus one player. I think the only one that didn't get in was Garrett, right? Well, I was t- I was hearing that uh, he will be redshirted. That's the reason why. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, one thing's for certain. The Miners uh, are going to out-rebound uh, most of their opponents. Um, they're going to, you know, out-hustle them. And that's what you want to see. 21-12 to 12 yesterday, assist to turnovers, compared to 14-32. to 32. 14 assists. They forced 32 toner, uh, turnovers yesterday by Sol Ross State. I mean, if UTEP does what they should do every game, this will kind of become the norm. Not saying they're going to win by 40 points against these kind of schools, but they're going to win their share of conference games, and there's no reason why the Miners can't play themselves into the top four in the league and have a legitimate shot come tournament time to try to uh, go dancing. Yeah, the the biggest takeaway I had from yesterday, and this builds on to the rest of the season, was that this group is deep. They've, they can they actually are. they can legitimately run 10 guys deep, and and I think it's it, you could see it right away uh, with the starters on this team. They're going to roll with Tay Hardy, Shamar Givens, Calvin Solomon, Zarek Onyema, and Otis Frazier. That's your starting five right there, but I like the relievers on this team. It starts off with sixth man Mario McKinney Jr. along with Jamari Sibley. Then you can uh, dip in with uh, Malik Zachary who also looked good yesterday. Six points, five assists. He was really dishing the ball away nicely yesterday. Carlos Lemos can kind of give you that relief that you need at the shooting guard position and I love what he delivers uh, to this group defensively. And then they can use Kevin Kalu when they want to spell Zarek Onyema and if they have to, if they're in a position where they need an extra forward. Well, they could have uh, they can let Derek Hamilton play uh some minutes here and there. I know he isn't fast, he can't move right now, but he can play. That's the bottom line. I think Derek Hamilton can really play. And I, I don't think that he's going to be an impact player, but maybe a serviceable backup for this group. Yeah, that, listen, you know, you mentioned it. They don't even have Dos Anjos yet. And when exactly. he comes back, then what's going to happen? So, I'm with you. I'd still like to see Shamar given score. He scored 2 points yesterday on one of 6 shooting. Now, I know they're deep. I know 
you know, they don't need him to do, uh, you know, to put up 10 and, or 15 a game. But, you know, if there's one thing about Shamar that we haven't seen so far in the three games yet is really Shamar scoring uh, the basketball. And maybe he's more interested in just being a distributor, a good defensive player, a court leader, a floor general, and, and, and doesn't feel the pressure of having to score. Uh, or maybe it'll just come as he gets more and more time with his group, and that'll be the last thing that comes for his game, the offense. I think it's the latter. I really do. I'm a, I will bet on that. I think that he will uh, turn into more of a scoring guard as the season continues, as the lineup starts to shrink a little bit. And, and again, it's going to be hard to shrink this lineup knowing that they can actually run 10 guys deep legitimately because they have talent. But Shamar Givens, uh, what he was showing yesterday is trying to get his three ball going. Like I, I started to see them work, work um, you know, different plays around the perimeter so he could try to get a three ball go and he had some open looks he just mm-hmm. didn't make them I like the shot selections I like what he did uh you know in this game he just hasn't made the shots yet so I'll bet on the long term for Shamar Givens becoming a all-around and a, a scoring contributing point guard now if you look at the rest of of Conference USA at least early on because we all know that you know a lot of teams haven't played anybody yet to start the season off uh just taking a glance at how things are going Western Kentucky is 3 and 0, Charlotte's 2 and 0. Everybody else has at least one loss. Now, Western Kentucky beat Eastern Kentucky, Kentucky State and Indianapolis. They haven't played anybody yet. Okay? Nobody. In fact, um they'll be maybe Akron could be a bit of a test. That's in 5 days. Other than that, their first real they'll have a good run when they play at Louisville on the 14th and then at South Carolina on the 22nd. We'll get a much much better idea of what the Hilltoppers are like after those games against Louisville and South Carolina. As far as Charlotte goes, uh, another team. You know, they've only played twice so far this year. Uh, they are 2-0, and at least as, as we start things off. But they beat Coppin State and um, Maryland Eastern Shore. Now, they play Boise tomorrow. That'll be interesting. Then they've got Detroit Mercy on the road. Presbyterian at home at Davidson, home against Appalachian State, and then they play Detroit Mercy again in a uh, in a home and home before they go on the road to Monmouth and then start conference play. So that's at least what the 49ers are going to be like so far this season. Everybody else has uh, at least one loss uh, so far this year. And, you know, I always like to look at non-conference schedules, Adrian, to see who plays who. Yeah. Um, I, I look at Florida Atlantic, Steve, uh, most significant win out of Conference USA, dethroning Florida. Big win right there for yep. them and what they were able to do. Now, North Texas doesn't have a lot of their guys right now. In fact, uh, I heard that they had the flu. That's why they had that loss to St. Mary's, who's a lot better than we might think. Uh, they lost 63-33, but they actually came back and beat uh, Fresno State, so that's a big victory for them. Uh, or that, that's actually coming this weekend, my bad. Uh, but one of the other uh, teams that I definitely want to mention, it's UAB. Yeah. Uh, they lost to Toledo, who is probably the best mid-major basketball team right now. Andy Kennedy has retooled with all of his squad, and they took Toledo to the wire. They lost 93-85, and that was a really tightly contested matchup. UTSA lost by 20 to, uh, to Texas A&M Corpus Christi, the aforementioned A&M Corpus Christi. UTSA is going to be terrible, terrible this year. Terrible. Uh, they lost that game on the road. Matter of fact, they squeaked out a win over St. Mary's um, by 7 uh, Saint Not Ma- the good St. Mary's. No, the St. Mary's of San Antonio. The D2 St. Mary's. Yeah, that's, that, right. that, that's exactly right. Um, meanwhile, uh, Middle Tennessee 
uh, lost to Winthrop. They beat Rice. How about that? How about the fact that Middle Tennessee has already played a conference game? <laughs> yeah, and they look good, man. They got Dishman back. They got Cameron Weston back. They they have Eli Lawrence back. Mm-hmm. They they were one of the few teams in Conference USA that returned a lot of the pieces from last year. And remember, they were the team that knocked off UTEP in the end. La Tech lost at Texas Tech by nine, sixty four fifty five, and. Uh, you know, that was a game that happened earlier so far this season. And you look at some of the other teams, Rice, uh, we mentioned the Middle Tennessee game. They haven't played anybody yet. Pepperdine beat them by 40. Um, so, you know, there's no reason why if UTEP stays healthy and continues to do what they've done early on, they can't be in the conversation when we get to uh, conference tournament time come March. Yeah, and I also think that that's saying a lot because this is a really good conference USA season. I wouldn't just say that if I if I didn't mean it, but there are three. There are actually four teams right now that are ranked in the top 100 of Ken Palm, which mm-hmm. usually is right when it comes to uh, these rankings, and especially when it comes to late in the year. UAB, North Texas, Florida Atlantic, and Western Kentucky all ranked in the top 100 of Ken Palm right now. So that, that just tells you where this league is right now. La Tech, they're right behind they're at 137 utep right now is ranked 166 kind of where they were ranked last year so nothing too uh crazy right there for utep either way no but still uh it gets people excited because they realize that um this team couldn't very well surprise a lot of people this year a lot of people and i like that like that a lot quarter pass as we get started on the program today a lot of off-season baseball activity we'll talk about it next with jay jaffe get a beer selection talk a little football in our five o'clock hour with bernie olivas pick some games for our uh, tony the tiger sun bowl watch segment that we do each and every week on this program and uh, of course take your phone calls and comments as well uh 505-6009 our telephone number 600 espn el paso on twitter as we say hello to charlie one and get our first traffic update of a busy afternoon 20 past as we keep things moving here on Sports Talk and get ready for our weekly conversation with this man, Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs. You can follow on Twitter at J underscore Jaffe. Check out his great work at Fangraphs.com. So much to get to with Jay. And uh, let's talk first about the uh, deal that went down today. It's always nice when we can get a Wednesday morning trade to uh, sort through. And Teoscar Hernandez goes from the Jays to the Mariners. Uh, give me your thoughts on uh, the all-star outfielder who now will go into uh, Seattle's uh, offensive lineup for next season. Yeah, this is a nice pickup for Seattle. Uh, Hernandez has, has really come on, come on as a hitter in the last couple of seasons. I wrote about him at Fangraphs last year when he was amid his breakout not a, not a great uh, guy as far as plate discipline, but he hits the ball very hard, uh, has very good power. Um, Seattle has uh, you know seemed to be a wash in outfield options this year, but they had a lot of injuries, and by the end they were really uh, kind of struggling to piece it together. I think uh, uh, this is a good addition for them. I do think that uh, this Eric Swanson, uh, who's got uh, a few years of club control remaining, but. Uh, um, you know, you, to to get quality, you've got to give up quality as well. And, uh, um, you know, I think this is a fair trade in that regard. I'm with you on that one. Plus, Seattle had a nice season. They had a nice little run into the playoffs. And you know what? Why not make them better? And uh, maybe Hernandez is the kind of guy that's not going to cost them an arm and a leg, but ultimately they get really good production out of them. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, these both of these are good teams, and they're both, try, you know, trying for the same goal here. They met up in the, in the uh, wild card round. Um 
of you know of of this year's expanded playoffs and 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 had a pretty uh, entertaining series. So um, you know it's not like Toronto doesn't ha- doesn't have a good ball club too, but uh, uh, they want to make their about ba- make their lineup a little bit more balanced. They're 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 pretty righty heavy, and uh, uh, they saw Hernandez as a, as a chance to uh, uh, maybe move somebody out and get somebody in there who's who's left handed. Meanwhile, the Padres signed Nick Martinez to a three-year contract where uh, he will get $26 million guaranteed from 23 through 25 with incentives that could increase the value to $42 million. I almost thought that Nick Martinez was like a Swiss Army knife last year for San Diego because he could pitch starting, he could pitch in relief, pitch pretty much in any role that the Padres asked him to. Yeah, he was very handy for them. I, you're not not incredibly effective as a starter. I, you know, I think he's got his limitations there. Um, more of a back end guy there, but uh, uh, as a multi inning reliever, he was very effective and uh, a big part of their success this past season. So um, I can understand wanting to keep him. I think uh, you know that's that's a lot of money for for a guy who's who's uh, uh, at best a back of the rotation starter. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, he does give you some options. Uh, when you're building a staff every year. You wrote about Anthony Rizzo today going back to the Bronx, signing uh, with the Yankees to uh, to return. There were some rumors that Rizzo could have gone other places, but instead two years, club option for a third, $51 million. And even though the batting average is never really stellar at all, he hits home runs, he drives in runs, and, and uh, you know, is is kind of uh, one of those guys that's uh, become a, a nice uh, a nice mainstay in the lineup for the Yanks. Yeah, the Yankees really kind of punted left-handed power for a couple years there, and then you know when they traded for Anthony Rizzo, he started to help rebalance their lineup. Um, he's a very good fit for the team, uh, both as a first baseman and and, and left-handed hitter. Uh, as fits well in the clubhouse too. He's uh, said to be kind of the co-captain of the team along with Judge. Um, I, I certainly don't think this this uh, hurts their uh, pursuit of Aaron Judge either financially uh, or you know or otherwise because he and Judge are said to be close. Um, but uh, um, you know he is he is not the uh, you know the All Star that he was when he when he was with the Cubs or even the Gold Glover uh, of that period. But uh, pretty solid floor. Uh, that he gives you and uh, nice nice way to balance the lineup. So pretty pretty solid addition for the Yankees or or, or main, maintenance for the Yankees here. Yeah, that's how I'd like to put it more than anything else. Nothing great, solid, and uh, I know they still want Aaron Judge. It's going to be really interesting to see if the Yankees end up getting him when the smoke clears. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's. I think he's going to he's going to listen to what other teams have to say as is his right. And uh, uh, but the Yankees do seem very openly committed to doing what it takes to bring him back. Um, Hal Steinbrenner was was unequivocal uh, when he talked to the media uh, yesterday at the owners' meetings about uh, um, you know willingness to go, saying you know the budget isn't unlimited, but we're you know we we want Aaron Judge to be a Yankee for the rest of for the rest of his career. We're going to do what it takes. Um, so you know I, I I think he he's he's pretty clear uh, as far you know as far as his goal there and and uh, you know a lot of times you see the. Uh, you know, much more wishy-washy statements coming from GMs and owners about, uh, um, you know, whether whether a, a star player, star free agent like that is going to stick around. So I, I expect that they're going to show him the money, um, you know, but it, it's up to him whether he wants to stay in New York or whether he wants to uh, go closer to home. I think the Giants are, are viewed as the likely um, 
uh, the most the most likely destination because they've got a lot of money to spend and because he grew up uh, uh, not far from San Francisco. So we'll see what happens. I'm with you on that one, and I do believe that that's going to be the the uh, ultimate landing spot if he doesn't go to New York. So a uh, good one there. Um, meanwhile, Jay, a lot of awards coming out, manager of the year, rookie of the year. Any surprises so far with some of the early awards? Um, not so much. I mean, I think rookie of the year, uh, everybody thought it was going to be Julio Rodriguez in the in the American League. Um, National League, maybe a little bit more of a toss-up between the two Braves, Michael Harris the second, and, and Spencer Strider. Um, managers, I mean, you know, what is a manager of the year really? <laughs> um, it's you know, it seems to be somebody who you know whose team did well and maybe did a little bit better than expected. I, I don't, you know, I, I still don't know how you give it to uh, Buck Showalter and not Dave Roberts. Uh, given just how how great the Dodgers were this year, um, you know the the Mets b- did blow a ten game division lead, um, you know whereas the Dodgers uh, ran, you know ran away with the things. So, um, but uh, it's it's tough to, it's tough to get too wrapped up in that stuff. So I, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, the Cy Young and MVP should be a little bit more interesting. I think. Yeah, exactly. Is today uh, either of those two? Today is the Cy Young, I believe, and I expect okay. we're going to see. Uh, Sandy Alcantara and Justin Verlander uh, win it, but there's maybe a little bit more suspense in the National League um, than than there is the American League. Verlander uh, missed some time with injuries, but came back strong and and uh, uh, really had a remarkable season at age 39. Uh, Alcantara was was the uh, the NL workhorse, just pitched so many more innings than anybody else, and was very effective. Um, I suspect. Uh, that uh, we'll see a little bit of support for for Julio Urias. Yep. Um, but I do think that uh, this is probably Alcantara's to win too. I'm with you on that one. By the way, get back to the manager of the year for just a second. When you were talking about Showalter versus Roberts, do you think the reason Showalter won is that everybody just expected the Dodgers to dominate from the very beginning of the season? And even though they set franchise records and, and had just a ridiculous year from a win loss standpoint, it was almost what people thought the Dodgers would be. But when they built that team and put it on paper to start the year, yeah, a lot of a lot of manager of the year is a lot of hand waving over over uh, you know how far above expectations you finish. But nobody nobody expected the Dodgers to win what was it 111 games. I mean, you know, expected to be a powerhouse, but not to set a not to set a record like that or you know a club record like that. Um, after winning 106 last year, you'd figure the, uh, the you know they're most likely to regress a little bit. I don't know. Noah just tweeted as you're talking. He goes, "Buck was a no-brainer." Jay, come on, you better win 111 games with that <laughs> roster. <laughs> so not as easy as, as they made it look. No, that's for sure. Uh, all right, uh, Jay Jaffe with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. Good job, Noah, on that tweet. You can tweet the show just like he did. 600 ESPN El Paso. We'll pass it along to Jay in real time while we keep this segment going. But hit, let's hit the bottom of the hour right now with the Sports Center update. Here he is. Adrian brought us back with the latest. The Jay Jaffe uh, from Fangraphs.com will get his beer pick of the week in a little bit. You know, a day ago, Jeff Passan wrote about uh, what was going on behind the scenes with the Astros, even during their World Series run, and, and just chronicling what uh, owner Jim Crane was doing, uh, you know, with James Click, the general manager, but obviously Crane was a huge uh, part of that. Isn't it crazy to think that this team won the World Series despite the fact that uh, essentially, I felt like Jim Crane was doing his best Jerry Jones impersonation, uh, trying to take total control over uh, the season. 
Yeah, I'm not a big fan of of uh, of uh, Jim Crane. I think he, you know, he really shirked a lot of responsibility when it came to uh, the sign stealing scandal. I, I have, you know, he's the one who hired Jeff Lunau. He's the one who let uh, uh, that toxic culture fester there. Um, you know, I thought that I thought that he should have received uh, significantly more punishment than uh, uh, than he did in terms of. Uh, uh, when when the commissioner handed it down, and uh, um, you know his his response was to get more involved in the um, uh, in the baseball operations side of things, like you know, but he doesn't have much of a background there, and he uh, you know he he had strong feelings of the you know regarding the work that James Click did. I mean, it's you know I guess it's not enough to build a World Series winner uh, a team that goes back to back. So so uh, you know the stylistic clash there. Um, you know, Click is out of a job. We'll see what uh, um, uh, you know what what Crane comes up with as far as uh, executives to to replace him here. Um, they're not going to get their top choice, David Stearns, I think, former uh, Astros assistant GM who went on to Milwaukee and uh, just stepped down as club president uh, last month. Um, but. Uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I'm with you on that one. Uh, meanwhile, you're starting to go into the contemporary baseball era Hall of Fame committee ballot candidates, and you started with Fred McGriff, then you got Rafael Palmero, and then Albert Bell. As you've started to really dive into uh, the candidates right now, has anything changed from what we talked about last week regarding who you think could possibly get in once the uh, contemporary baseball era committee uh, uh, you know, uh, starts to vote? Um, I think you know. I think that probably the pathway is clearest for McGriff. Um, I don't know that that's a guarantee that he'll get there, um, but you know, there's there, there are candidates on here that have zero shot at election, and I would I would include Palmero and Bell uh, in that. Um, Palmero is uh, uh, the first star to test positive and get suspended by Major League Baseball for PEDs. Um, he fell off the the writer's ballot after four years. Um, he himself was surprised he was on this ballot. Uh, I don't think you know if if, if the uh, if the voters are going to have anybody who has a PED connection, it's going to be Barry Bonds and or Roger Clemens. I don't see them uh, reaching past them to go for the inferior player in in Palmer, who had a very good career. I don't know that you know we know uh, much about. Uh, um, you know whether he was using PEDs for for much of his career, or whether he just made a late career mistake. I mean, by his own description, it was a late career, um, you know, fluke. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't know how believable that is. Um, Albert Bell, no shot. I mean, boy, going over his career, he was he was even even more of a. Uh, belligerent mis- misanthrope that I remember, including uh, d- uh, domestic battery arrest that I'd totally forgotten. So, uh, not a lot of fun uh, in re-examining his career. But I think it's kind of important, and it just made me mad that uh, Lou Whitaker and Dwight Evans are not on this ballot because I think those guys genuinely deserve uh, to have their cases heard. Whereas Bell, who never went anywhere on the writers' ballot or the uh, two previous uh, era committee ballots. Um, isn't going to get elected here either. I'm with you. I'd love to see Lou Whitaker and uh, Dwight Evans get a shot. I, I think they would both be great candidates to get in, and, and their names have been mentioned quite a bit over the years as far as guys that deserved a much better look from Cooperstown. They, they, they never really got a fair shake. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, and, they, and, you know, and they, they fared well in their, when they were on the modern baseball ballot in 2020. Uh, they were the two top returning candidates from that pool. Um, instead, we've got... Uh, 
Don Mattingly and Dale Murphy, both of whom uh, got uh, fewer than half the votes of Whitaker, who had the lesser of the two. Um, you know, both of those guys were, were MVPs in their day, but uh, um, did not have the longevity uh, to, to accumulate the career numbers that impressed the voters, and uh, I'm not sure why they're here either. They, they, they never got anywhere. Who's the next uh, contemporary candidate that you'll be profiling tomorrow? Uh, I am working on Don Mattingly. I needed a palate cleanser. You know, I don't think Mattingly is going to get there, but he's at least wholesome. And I needed to scrub my brain after writing about Bell. There you go. I like that. All right, let's wash it down then with a beer pick of the week. Uh, this doesn't have to be a beer that is uh, referring to Albert Bell's appearance on the ballot because that would be a very <laughs> bitter beer. So what would you like to profile for our listeners this week, Jay? Oh, geez. You know, I, I actually forgot to choose one here. Hang on. Let me look, what, let me look at what I, was, what I last put on the, uh, what I call the, the San Diego beer thread. Um, this is a thread that uh, my friend Eno Saras put me on here. Um, it's it's a bunch of uh, West Coast folks just kind of uh, shooting pictures of, of, of whatever beer they're drinking. And, and uh, uh, sometimes I put one in there, and uh, I'm trying to remember what I, what I did the, this, la- this last uh, time. It's been a few days here. It's kind of um, replaced Untapped for me, and at least in some ways. I like the social aspect of putting it straight on Twitter. Um, but, boy, it's been a few days since I, since I posted to it. So let's go with what, do I, what have I got in my fridge right now? Um, oh, you know what? It's it's a, a good session beer. Uh, this um, uh, tiny juicy, it's called. Um, it's one of my favorite session beers here. I can't even remember who makes it, um, but we buy it pretty regularly because it's. Uh, oh, it's it's. This is the um, Five Burrows Brewing Company. That's right. It's their tiny juicy IPA. It's like four point two percent IPA uh, uh, ABV. And it doesn't taste like 4.2%. It, it, it tastes much bigger than that. It's a good little hazy uh, beer and uh, uh, manages to pack, pack a punch in terms of uh, flavor, nice and fruity. Uh, Mosaic, Simcoe, and Cascade hops, and uh, uh, really a pleasant, a pleasant beer to have around, especially in the holidays when you've got, you know, session beer. You know, a good session comes in handy when uh, all the heavy beers get broken out. You know... We've done this for so many years. Maybe this, maybe this segment just evolves into what's in Jay Jaffe's refrigerator. Well, that's I mean that's what it is a lot of times. I try to you know it's it's uh, uh, I try to bring to it what's what's in there. But uh, um, sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm, I've got it together as to what I'm going to profile. This was not one of them, so I had to had had to do had had to do a. Uh, a uh, bit of an improv here, so but we got it. <laughs> you did a good job. All right, listen, excellent as always. Talk to you next week, Jay. Thanks for the time. All right, sounds great, Steve. Thanks. Jay Jaffe, folks. Follow him on Twitter at J underscore Jaffe. Check out his work at Untapped as well as at Fangraphs.com. More in a moment. 39 past. The Sports Talk continues. ABC 7 News is next. 47 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. 505-6009. That is our telephone number. Let's say hello right now to John, who joins us next on the phone lines. Hey, John, good to have you on. How you doing today? Hey, doing good, Steve. Awesome, good man. Listening to the show. A uh, couple of things, Steve. Yep. First, uh, baseball. I totally disagree with what Jay Jaffe said about manager of the year. To me, manager of the year is having a manager when it when the team expects nothing. It's easy to give it to a manager that is expected to win, like the Dodgers, like the Mets were. Okay? To me, 
the Phillies manager should have won it. I know I'm trying, I'm biased, but let's be real. They weren't expected to make the playoffs for one, and second, they weren't even expected to make the World Series. So I don't the, know how that interim manager got snubbed. He the, went like sixty-three and forty-something just to get him in the playoffs. The only argument against Rob Thompson is that. They fired Girardi two months into the season, and that's when Thompson took over. Now, you could make the argument he was so good, he should win it regardless of whether he managed you know, uh, 70% of the season or, or 100%, but the only thing I could see would be that, that you know the firing happened in June, and then that's why, um, you know, that, that's why they you know they wouldn't give it to Thompson because he you know what Girardi managed 51 games which means that they only would have had a chance to play what um 111 with Thompson and maybe that's why it's possible that that could be it may maybe he didn't get enough games in but you know the argument of oh well you know, giving it to a dude who wins all these games. Of course, they're expected to win, Steve. Yep. Especially yeah. the Dodgers. That, that's I know. Why I don't I'm get, with you. You know, manager I'm of the year. It, it, it's easy to go out there and win games when you're predicted to win and be loaded like they are. Yep. You know. Yep. But uh, anyway, real quick, uh, Cowboys. Uh, that was disgusting on Sunday. Defense no showed. Um. I am getting sick and tired of them blaming everything on Dak. I really am. Um, that second interception, yes, it was on him. The first one was on C.D. Lamb. Dude ran the wrong route. You could see it. But for him to get all the blame when the Cowboys lose, that, that has to stop. Yeah, I mean, listen, there, there's no doubt. And the fact is he still brought him back despite all that. Dak wasn't the one that decided to go for it on fourth and overtime instead of kick the field goal. I mean, there, there's, a lot of, there, there's a lot of blame to go around on that game. And by the way, Eagles lose to the Commanders at home. So it just goes to show you, John, even the best teams in the league can, can have a clunker from, from week to week. Look what happened with Buffalo this past weekend at home against Minnesota with Josh Allen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, it's the NFL. Anything can happen. Absolutely. You know, but, you know, the, the argument you know, I made a few weeks ago with uh, Kellen Moore trying to circumvent Dak, you can see it if you really watch the Cowboys games. Why is it that you're averaging like six yards a pot or close to it on Sunday? And how many pass attempts did Dak have? Like 45, 46? That's on Kellen Moore. Yep. Why not go and, and call plays like you did when Cooper Rush was at quarterback? We said that, though. We talked about that, that if anything, what Cooper Rush did was give the Cowboys a blueprint to how to win a football game, and if they're going back and reverting to the same stuff that they did when Dak, uh, before he got hurt, uh, you know what? You're not going to win that way. That's not, that is not no. a formula to, to, to win football games week in, week out. No, it, it, it's not, and it goes back to the argument that I've been saying for years. It's yep. not on Dak. I know. I hear it's you. It's not. It's, it's all Kellen Moore. I don't know what his problem is. He's not that great of an OC. Well, listen, 
I appreciate the phone call. Thanks, John. I'm with you, man. Um, you know, you're right. They had they had the chance, and they blew it. 100% right. Adrian, I don't think there's any argument there. Cowboys know. I mean, John, you listen, that is the one thing you can say that the best point you could take away from Cooper Rush is, hey, they won because not they, they played to his to his abilities, but they found a, a new success, a formula that works, and they, they've, they've started to abandon it again. I think the only knock that you could have on Dak over this weekend is the fact that he didn't lead the team back to victory, like or like to, in, the, in the late game situation that he wasn't as crisp as he could have been. But I think that I, I agree completely. It's, it is the play calling. It is Kellen Moore and Dak not being in sync. And once those two are in sync, things will change. And, and I think that uh, maybe it's reeling him back in. It's so easy to just say, oh, run the football. You know, it's easy to say things like that. But yep. with Dak, you go back to year one when he was running the ball, when he did more of those uh, zone read options, that's when he was at his best, in my opinion. I know, that's true. But again, Mike McCarthy didn't do him any favors, not kicking the field goal. That's right, yeah. Just kick the field goal, get the points. You know, if Brian Burns was calling the shots, you know what would have happened, Adrian. Start of hour number two here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Along with UTEP Zay and Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Say hey, Zay. Zay's in the house after uh, last night and the UTEP win over Sol Ross State. Zay, the uh, third member of the sports talk team. Chema sometimes uh, joins us as number four. Uh, Zay, welcome. Good to hear from you very quickly before I bring Bernie on and our uh, Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl watch segment gets going. Thoughts on last night's UTEP win? Um, Not much you can take away from this game except that, hey, they, they forced – 24 steals. That was like 32 turnovers. So that was nice to see. It was an exciting game. We get to see, you know, Antoine Holmes and, and Derek Hamilton have some fun. So, yeah, I had fun. Not much you could take away, though. Well, to me, what I could take away is they didn't play down to their competition like other UTEP teams have done in the past. They did exactly what they were supposed to do against a smaller, inferior opponent. They beat them by 40. And that's, that's to me, the biggest takeaway is the Miners just did to Sol Ross State exactly what they are supposed to do. Yeah, they took care of business, and that's all you can ask for, you know? I remember a couple of years ago, Sol Ross State, was they were up on UTEP. So. That's right. Yeah, it was good to see this. It was good to take care of business. Good job. All right, Zay. Nicely done. Uh, let me welcome in uh, Mr. Bernie Olivas, Executive Director, Sunbowl Association, on our Tony the Tiger Sunbowl Watch Weekly segment here in our final hour of the show. Welcome back, Bern. How are you? Oh, it's great to be here. And again, week 12 coming up, and uh, we're getting closer to the Tony the Tiger Sunbowl on December 30th, but I don't know if we're any closer to finding out who's going to play in there, but I'm liking what I'm seeing so far. Me too. Got me some too. great teams you know, that, that are lining up, and I think we're going to wind up with a pretty good matchup. Hey, by the way, it should be a pretty nice day now. Next Thursday for the parade. I'm looking at the forecast right now. Sunny skies, high of 59, which means it'll probably be in the uh, low to mid 50s come uh, parade time. That is perfect weather. And if you've got sun, that's all we can ask for here in El Paso. You know, I hope the, I hope the weather shifts a little bit, gets you a little closer, because by Sunday it's supposed to be up to like 66 degrees the following Sunday. So I hope mm. it starts. I hope it starts moving in a little bit. You know that that. You know that heat wave starts moving a little bit, a little go. bit sooner. But sixty degrees, fifty-nine. That's that's perfect. There's a two percent chance of rain. This as last time I checked. So, uh, Mother Nature owes us a pretty good day. You know, for all our events this coming year. 
I agree with you there. And uh, hopefully, like you said, it, uh, it, it becomes just that. So uh, excited uh, about that. Excited about uh, playing uh, our uh, Chick-fil-A Sun Bowl Selectum contest coming up in just a little bit. Adrian's got some work to do this week. By the way, um, as you fall deeper and deeper into last, do you now decide that you have to take even more yes. chances to try to climb into this thing and get back? Well, first off, uh, I need to start taking orders right now. Let's start locking in the Chick-fil-A <laughs> orders. Uh, I'm going to probably go with the, the chicken wrap. That's usually what I go with, the number eight, uh, the you know the meal, the waffle fries. I might get a tortilla soup on the side, something like that from Chick-fil-A. But, yeah, I'm going to have to take a lot more risks. I was looking at my picks right now, and I have take, I have two risks right here. I, I've got two on, on the board. Okay. Well, that's good. And we'll find out about that coming up next segment. We'll play trivia this segment. Give you an opportunity to try to win a pair of tickets to the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Meanwhile, Bernie, here we are. Four teams in the ACC find themselves ranked in the top 25 this week. And a total of six, count them, six in the Pac-12. Six teams in the Pac-12 ranked in the CFP rankings. Good Lord. That is awesome. And, you know, we're going to get number five. Uh, Of course, they still have to play against each other. And, you know, some might drop, but still. This late in the season, for them to be ranked that high is just great for us and for the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. And, of course, the ACC still has four teams ranked in the top, you know, in the top 25. I, again, that just, you know, it just makes me smile because I think we're going to get a great matchup. So, everybody, go get your tickets. December 30th. Ah, it's going to be high phenomenal. Noon. I, I think know. it's going to be great. I know it. Um, I think so, too. In fact, as we look at the standings right now, Washington State has already qualified at 6-4, and four, but they're not in the top 25, uh, and they were here last year. And then you've got Oregon State uh, right uh, in front of them at uh, 23rd, Washington 17th, UCLA is 16th, Utah's 10th, Oregon's 12th, and uh, USC is 7th. That's the, the rankings, and, and I did that in order of win-loss in the conference and where they stand. So it goes 7, 12, 10, 16, 17, and 23. The reason Oregon's ahead of Utah is the tiebreaker because Oregon beat Utah this year. That's right. But here's the funny thing. At our, at our football committee meeting on Monday, we are looking at standings and going over records and schedules, and it is possible, very possible, not way out of the line, to, think, to know that there could possibly be a four-way tie for first place in the Pac-12 at the end of the season. And I don't know what the, you know, what the criteria is to see who's going to play in the championship game, but we went over the schedules and, 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 and schools. I said, you know, it's possible. And it's none of the games that we say if so-and-so beats so-and-so is out of the question. It looks like anybody in these, in these teams can, can, can beat anybody else right now. Uh, so, uh, you know, it'd be possible. That'd be interesting. Of course, we probably wouldn't get any of those four, but that just shows the strength of the Pac-12 this year. So is it possible that, um, well, I guess it is possible that USC could still find themselves into the uh, top four uh, in the it's, semis? It's possible. Probably not, like, not yeah. likely, but it's it's very possible. I don't know. Tennessee, I don't know how right. Tennessee's out there. You know, TCU still undefeated. Uh and I'm not sure what happens to the Ohio State-Michigan loser, whether they'll drop out or not. Mm. I think if it's a really close game, they might both stay in, in, the, you know, in the top four. Good point. Good point. What about also, um, could we see potentially two of these teams playing uh, in a New Year's game? Uh, it's possible, but again, if, if, uh, if one of them does not make it into the Final Four, I don't think they'll get two up. I think okay. the winner will go to the Rose Bowl. There's a shot that the Cotton Bowl has, you know, they have an at-large bid. 
Uh, and, you know, in their New Year's Six game, it's possible that they might want to take one of those teams. But uh, I don't know if they prefer an SEC team over a Pac-12 team. It is possible, but uh, it's, hard, it's hard to figure out right now. If, even if that happens, you know, pac 12s already qualified seven teams, Yep. Uh, you know, to be in a bowl game. And uh, if all seven of those <laughs> are be really good. The only one that probably is not going to be here is probably Washington State. Not because yep. they're not good enough, but only because they were here last year and, and we have the opportunity to pass on a team that played the previous year. At this point, do you think UCLA, Washington, and Oregon State are all in the running? Oh, there's no doubt about it. And for the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think UCLA... Uh, Washington for sure, and the other top three, you know, USC, the UC, you know, UCLA for sure. There's a, there's a criteria where they might, you know, you know, on, on a side note, they might be able to come here, and I won't get into that. But uh, okay, but uh, you know, Oregon probably not, USC probably not, but I think UCLA and Utah, and Washington are still a possibility here. That's what I figured. I I, I was going to say UCLA, Washington, and Oregon State yeah. made the most sense, at least at this point. Yeah. Oregon State's Oregon State, pretty good football team. You know, they're yes. not a bad team. You know what? They only went, they went to the first bowl game since 2014 last year, so they're on the way up. Uh, you know, I kind of like them. They're playing good football. I agree, and uh, I think they'd bring a lot of people because cause they're not used to going to bowl games. So you well, know, that, that would not be a bad team. And of course, the other two schools are, are great. I got to throw a question at you. Okay, what if Oregon State wins out? What if they beat Arizona State on the road this weekend, and then they beat Oregon in the Civil? War and they finish nine and three. There, there you go. That's a bit. That's who takes them in that case? Who takes them? I think. I think that the Holiday Bowl might want an Oregon State. They're on the West Coast again. They haven't been to a bowl game in a long time. I think they feel that the Oregon Oregon State would take a lot of people down to San Diego. I and then, do. and in that scenario, they go nine and three. What if I'm playing the what if game? What if uh, Oregon loses at home to Utah this week, and then they lose to Oregon State, and they finish uh, eight and four? Could could the Oregon Ducks possibly slide to uh, the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl at eight I, and four if that I, happens? I think Vegas would. I think Vegas would would sweep them up. I what really do. I really do. And that could, but yeah. that in that scenario, that could leave UCLA here for El Paso. That's that's what I'm saying. That's ex- exactly right. Okay. I don't think uh, you, I don't think UCLA would would be welcomed in uh, in San Diego. Of course, that's my opinion. I agree. Based on what happened last year, and uh, so, but I think that would mean UCLA could possibly be here. And by the way, here's another interesting scenario. Speaking of the what-if game, what if Washington beats Colorado at home and loses to Washington State in the Apple Cup? Then they finish 9-3. Uh, and three. But again, um, you know, a 9-3 and three Washington team losing to Washington State, don't know what would happen there, what those ramifications would be like. There you go. That, I guess, again, that pushes everybody down kind of towards us. Like mm-hmm. I said, we're, 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 you know, we're kind of chomping at the bit. I think we're going to get a great team from, you know, from the West Coast this year. If Arizona beats Washington State and Arizona State at home and finishes 6-6, six and six, um, do we ha- is there any possibility that Arizona comes here at 6-6 six and six, or more than likely there's just going to be too many good teams still on the board to, uh, to, to, to have for, for this game? Yeah, the way, our, the way our contracts is, we have to take the, next, the team next in the standings based on conference schedules. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if they win their last two games, they would be four and five in Pac-12. And I okay. think I don't th- I would think that would disqualify them from being here at the Sun Bowl. Meanwhile, it looks right now like, uh, you know, North Carolina is uh, a lock to uh, represent the Coastal Conference in the ACC championship game. They got a two-game lead on Duke with two to play. Uh, Clemson is going to most likely be their opponent in the ACC championship. So you've got Clemson, North Carolina should be a terrific football game. But you look at the rest of the ACC. Yeah. Florida State, they're 19th. North Carolina State, 24th. 
Um, and then you look at all the teams that have qualified so far. There's a ton of them. Wake Forest, Louisville, NC State, the Cuse, even though they've lost four in a row. Florida State's won three in a row. Clemson, North Carolina, uh, Pittsburgh. Those are all teams that have qualified for the uh, for the postseason. You know, and right now I think that Clemson and North Carolina they've already, they've clinched their spot in the uh, in the championship game. Yep. And but after that, I think the way things are going, I think everybody else is is wide open. Of course, you know Orlando still has to pick. Uh, Jacksonville has to pick and Holiday picks, and then we are in that pool with the Duke's Mayo Bowl and the Pinstripe Bowl up in New York, and that's and we'll they'll tell us uh, who who's in that pool, and then we we'll, we have a criteria as to who gets whom uh, out of that out of that uh, out of that pool. So uh, all those teams that you mentioned, other than uh, Clemson and North Carolina, I think are possibilities here. So let's just assume for a second. That um, now the winner of the ACC championship game goes where? If they're not going to, if they're not going to the CFP, they'll go to the to the Orange Bowl. Okay, so but that's a New Year's Bowl. Yes, and is that that means then the next three schools will go to the other three bowl games you just mentioned? Correct, and they're not not in order now. There's, right, there's a criteria. They can they can go. You know, they can skip over a nine and three or ten and two over nine and three, but they cannot go to a seven four. They cannot skip somebody who has two less wins than than the team that they're that they want to skip. Here's the hard part for me. I would I would think Florida State and North Carolina would be the obvious two choices of the three teams. I just don't know who would be the third pick because you look at the way uh, you know this year has gone. Duke's having a terrific season this year. Um, and then you've got a bunch of teams like Syracuse, NC State. Pitt, my, you know, they're, they're, that are all in that same range. So I don't know who the third team would be at this point. I have no idea either. That's why I said it's uh, we're in week 12, and we might be closer to the Tony Tiger Sun Bowl game, but I don't know if we're any closer to find out who is going to be in our game, which yep. is kind of fun in a way because uh, that means that we, there are a lot of possibilities and there's a lot of good teams in both conferences. They Both, both those conferences are having stellar years, and uh, we're all excited here. Man, I'm we excited. are excited. I don't blame you. Hey, uh, in the meantime, uh, I'm excited about trivia. Let's give somebody a chance to win tickets. Oh, always. Here we go. For two tickets to the Tony Tiger Sun Bowl game played on December 30th, the Friday this year, at 12 noon. Here's a question. Out of the ACC there, there are many teams that could possibly come to El Paso. We've talked about all those. You know, the El Paso for the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, including Wake Forest, Louisville, Pitt, Duke, and others. For the Pac-12, it's probably either UCLA, Washington, Oregon State, Washington State. Of all those teams that we just mentioned, who played in the Sun Bowl first? When did they play? And who did they play? Let's repeat that one more time. Here we go. We mentioned Wake Forest, Louisville, Pitt, Duke. We also mentioned UCLA, Washington, Oregon State, and Washington. Of all those teams, who was the first to play in the Tony the Tiger Sumble. When did they play, and who did they play? All right, three-part question. First person through, 505-6009 wins. When we come back, Brian Fuller from Kellogg's is going to join us on the phones. He's going to be our celebrity as we pick games this week, right after Charlie One, who's back with a traffic update.
Do we have a trivia winner yet? Yes, we do, Steve. Hey, we've got a trivia winner coming out of the break. That is phenomenal. Enrique, way to get it done. I'm shocked. But Enrique took care of trivia. Bernie, uh, what was the answer to our trivia today? Well, the question was, of the Wake Forest, Louisville, Pitt, Duke, UCLA, Washington, Oregon State, and Washington State, who was the first of those to play in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl? And the answer is Louisville. In 1958, nice. they beat Drake 34-20. to 20. And I made it a little easier. I was going to ask, two, I was going to have, ask you two more. Uh, another question is, who has the most appearances of those teams in the Tony Tiger Sun Bowl? And the answer to that is kind of a tie. Washington and Pitt have both, both been here four times. So congratulations, Enrique. We've got two tickets to the Tony Tiger Sun Bowl waiting for you. Enrique also wants to let everybody know this will be his 28th straight Sun Bowl game. That is awesome. Appreciate that, Enrique. That is great. I got you by about 30. But, but I think I'm going on my 69th. 59th. In, in a row? 59th in a row. You've never missed one in 59 years? Since I was 10 years old, yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Look at you. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah. How'd you pull that off? That's. Uh, I grew up close to the stadium. That, that helps. That <laughs> helps. I like that. I could walk over there. Didn't need a car. My brother took go. me you know, when I was 10 years old. That's good. I yeah. like that. Um, all right. We are about to start our Chick-fil-A uh, Tony the Tiger Sumble Selectum Contest. Before we bring on our celebrity guest this week, let's go through the scoreboard. Uh, I still lead the way with 73 correct. You have 72. And Adrian with 69. So you trail mm. me by one game. Adrian trails me by four games. And um, I've already made my picks. Adrian, I'm sure you have too, and so is Bernie. And uh, this is going to be interesting. So we'll see if maybe we get some movement this week. There's some tough games. Yes, there is. There's some There's some. some – I got some starred here. I'm even sure. though we didn't even talk about last week's games, but there was some – Two pretty good upsets in both on, in both leagues, and I think I'm seeing some of those this week as well. Hey, so. I'm excited about uh, Brian Fuller from Kellogg's, who's going to be joining us today as our celebrity uh, guest picker. So am I. One of the best guys I've ever met in this bowl business. Uh, I, if he's on, Brian, thank you for doing this for us, and uh, let's see if, you, if we can outdo our pickers. There you go. Yeah. Hey, Bernie, you able to hear me? Okay. Yes, we can hear you fine. All right. Pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, thank you, Brian. Uh, first off, uh, since uh, you've been involved with Kellogg's and Tony the Tiger and the sponsorship, how many times have you been to El Paso? Yeah, unfortunately, only once. Um, I had the pleasure of coming in 2019 for the Arizona State-Florida State game. Mm. I was able to bring my wife and kids and absolutely fell in love with the city of El Paso and the people and the, the warm hospitality that that. I received personally, as well as, of course, uh, Tony the Tiger, who's now a, a full-time resident of El Paso and, and just so proud of the relationship we've been able to build with the community. We are as well. By the way, what's the weather like in Battle Creek, Michigan right now? It's, it's a little cold and snowy. Uh, we, it was 70 a couple days ago, and then just like, like that, we, we get snow, and, and here we are already selling in the winter. But it's good, uh, good Midwest, uh, Big Ten football weather here. Love it. All right, are you ready to start picking uh, some, some winners for us, Brian? Well, I don't know about winners, but I'm definitely ready to start picking. (laughs) Here's how we do it, okay? Um, We pick straight-up games. I will give you the spread just for reference only, but we just need to know the team um, you'll be picking. And, uh, Bernie, if one lucky um, person that enters this contest outpicks Brian, they're going to win a pretty special prize from Chick-fil-A, aren't they? Yeah, our friends down at Chick-fil-A will give them a family pack 
to go along with the two tickets, the two tickets to the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. So, uh, so yeah, so you're playing not against us also, but you're getting against all our 200 or 50, 250, 300 entrants that, that, that play this week, every play this game every week, Brian. Yeah, no pressure, Brian. No pressure at all. Um, all right, here we go. Tough because I'm competitive. I like to win, but at the same time, I don't want to be the one standing in in the way of somebody getting some great Chick Fil A. So no, 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 no. It, it's a we tough got, position. It's to be all in. about winning, Brian. It's all about winning, Brian. <laughs> That's right. All right, and we're going to start it off with the ACC. We kind of go back and forth between conferences. So we'll begin with Duke and Pittsburgh. It's a 10 o'clock game on the ACC Network. Duke is 7-3, and 4-2 and two in the ACC. Pitt is 6-4, and 3-3 three and three in the ACC. They both already qualified for bowl games. However, since this game is at Pitt and Acrisure Stadium and Bernie will be attending the game, uh, the home team, seven and a half point favorites. Brian, start us off. Who do you like here, Duke or Pitt? Yeah, I mean, two pretty balanced teams there. Um, but I think with the home field advantage, I'm going to give them just the, the slight edge. And uh, I, I know they've uh, been tied for, for the most uh, Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl appearances with four out of that list that Bernie shared. So let's go with, the, let's go with Pitt. All right, uh, Pitt for Brian. What about you, Bert? I'm with Brian. I am picking Pitt and Coach Narduzzi. Great friend, good guy. I think they're playing well. Uh, I'm going with Pitt. All right, Adrian. As much as I want to go against the grain, as much as I want to try to pick Duke in this game, I'm going Pitt. Uh, they've won back-to-back, make it three in a row. We are all in agreement then going with the home team here, the favorite team to win, so we'll make it unanimous, all taking Pitt over Duke, who's been terrific at 7-3 and three so far this season. Game number two will be in the Pac-12. It's Oregon State, ranked 23rd in the country, 7-3 and three overall, 4-3 and three in the Pac-12, taking on 3-7 and seven Arizona State, who Who's two and five in the Pac-12? 12-15 on ESPN two. Even though it's at Sun Devil Stadium in Tempe, Bernie, Oregon State eight point road favorites. I'm going with the Beavers. I think they have a good chance of being here. I, uh, but I, th- I tell you what, they're, they made it. They made the top twenty five in the rankings. I'm going with Oregon State over Arizona State, even though it's in Tempe. Adrian. Yeah, no question for me. It's Oregon State and the Beavers. All right, three for three. I just don't see Arizona State getting back on track, even though they're home this week. Brian, what about you? You know, I hate to pick against uh, past Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl winner, like I said, in 2019, but I've got to go with Oregon State as well. Fair enough. All right, game number three, back to the ACC right now, and that's where we find uh, number 24, North Carolina State visiting Louisville. North Carolina State is 7-3, and 3-3 three, three and three in the ACC. Louisville is 6-4, and 3-4 four, three and four in the ACC. It's at Cardinal Stadium in Louisville. Adrian, uh, Louisville, they're home. They're four-point favorites over the Wolfpack. Start us off. Yeah, give me Malik Cunningham. Give me Louisville. I'm taking the home team. This is where we differ for the first time. I'll take NC State on the road and uh, go uh, with uh, a little bit of an upset there. Brian, what about you? Yeah, you know, Louisville's been coming on strong with some recent wins over Virginia, Pitt, and Wake Forest. I think they're going to keep that momentum going. Maybe call it an upset with with the ranked NC State team. But, uh, yeah, give me Louisville at home. Bernie! Even though they don't have their quarterback, I think NC State is playing really good football right now, and I am going with the Wolfpack. All right, so Bernie and I take the Wolfpack. Adrian's pumping his fist. He realizes he could pick up a valuable game on us if Louisville ends up coming big at home. 
28 past as we keep things moving. We'll stay in the ACC and we'll go to our next featured game. That's Miami visiting number nine, Clemson. The Hurricane, 5-5, five 3-3 five, three three in the ACC. Clemson, 9-1, perfect 7-0 in the ACC. They're home, and they're 19-point favorites over Miami in this one. Um, I will start it off and uh, say that uh, Clemson will not fall this week. Not to Miami. I will take the Tigers uh, to get the win. Brian, what about you? Yeah, you know, Clemson had the tough loss to Notre Dame a couple weeks ago, but bounced back nicely last week against Louisville. Uh, clearly, Miami's had a disappointing year. Got to go with the Tigers. Bernie! You know, I went to that Florida State-Miami game, and Miami looked absolutely horrible. The game was over really quick. And they bounced back last week, even though it was Georgia Tech, but they scored 35 points. But they're not going to be Clemson. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not going to be Clemson. I'm going with Clemson. All right. And now, finally, Adrian. Yeah, I'm a big fan of DJ Uya Ungalale, and along with Will Shipley on that Clemson attack and their offense. Give me Clemson, no question. Just pronouncing his name makes you a fan. I get That's it right. right. Yeah. I understand. Um, all right, here we go. Game number five. Pac-12, we find Washington State visiting Arizona. Wazoo, 6-4, and 3-4 and four in the Pac-12. Arizona, 4-6, and 2-5 and five in the Pac-12. It's at Tucson's Arizona Stadium. The Wildcats need a win to try to keep their bowl hopes alive for next week. Yet Washington State, four-point favorites, Brian, as we enter this big matchup. Hey, we've got last year's reigning Pac-12 rep for the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl with Washington State. Can't pick against them. Let's take the Cougars. All right, Bernie, Cougars uh, for Brian. What about you? My turn? Yes, it is. You said Brian, but it was... I'm sorry, Bernie. Uh, Bernie, your turn. Yes. Yes. Well, Arizona pulled a, pulled a big upset last week in beating UCLA, so I think they've got it turned around. But I'm going with the Cougs. I'm going with the road team. I'm going with the Cougars. I'm going with Washington State. All right. Adrian. Yeah, how do you pick against Washington State in this one? Except if you're behind in the bull pickums, give me Arizona. I got news for you. I picked Arizona as well, which means for Bernie, he's licking his chops. Because if Washington State wins, he could get that valuable game on me that he's trailing right now. So I'm going Arizona as well with this one at home. I think Arizona's got something to play for right now. They want to go bowling. They realize their postseason is on the line. And I think there's going to be another big game from uh, Delora and Cowing. So we'll give uh, we'll give Arizona the shot here. All right, back now to the ACC. I'm sorry. Um, did we... Let me think here. What do we have, Bernie? No, Brian. I don't think. Oh, Brian. I thought Brian. Did you make a pick on this Arizona Washington State game? I thought nope. you took. I thought you took Washington yeah, I State. I took Washington State. Oh, you did. Okay. Yep. Okay. Perfect. That's what I thought. Okay. As we keep things moving right now, let's get uh, to the pack to, to the ACC. We'll go Georgia Tech, and they are visiting North Carolina. Uh, Georgia Tech is four and six, three and four in the ACC. North Carolina is nine and one, perfect six and zero oh in the ACC. Um, as you would expect. North Carolina, three touchdown favorites, Bernie, as we uh, begin uh, our next game. North Carolina has clinched a spot in the champ- in ACC championship game. You might think they'd have a little letdown against Georgia Tech, who, again, they're, you know, uh, Georgia Tech is what, uh, four and six? But I think even playing poorly, I think North Carolina is going to win this game. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty good choice. Adrian? Um, no question about it, North Carolina. All righty, that's fair enough. I will go North Carolina as well. Brian, are we all in agreement? 
I'm afraid we're going to be because Drake May is just one of the most exciting quarterbacks in college football. Um, was awesome last week against Wake Forest. Let's let's go with the Tar Heels. Drake May has 3,412 passing yards, 34 touchdowns, and another five on the ground to go along with 584 rushing yards. You add that up, he is almost at 4,000 yards combined offense already. Pretty amazing when you really look at what uh, Drake May has been able to do. All right. Keep it moving right now. We'll stay in the ACC for a team that at one point looked like one of the darlings of the ACC. They have fallen on tough times. The Cuse visiting Wake Forest. Syracuse, 6-4 and four overall, 3-3 three and three in the ACC. Wake, 6-4, and 2-4 four, four in the ACC. This one is the truest field in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Wake, 10-point home favorites uh, despite... What has been a rough go in the ACC? Adrian, start us off. Yeah, Wake Forest at home in this game. Syracuse has lost four in a row. Make it five. All right. Five for, uh, uh, says Adrian. I agree with him. I like Wake at home as well, uh, which takes us now back to Brian. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that the spread's that big at 10. Um, Dino had such a great start to the year, but Sam Hartman's a great quarterback. Uh, they've got the home field advantage. Let's let's take the Demon Deacons. Bernie! You know, when Syracuse was 6-0, and I looked at their schedule and I said, boy, their next five games could be pretty tough. And they showed it. They've lost They've lost four in a row. But on the other side, Wake Forest also started 6-1, and and now they've lost three in a row. Mm-hmm. Something's so got to give. Yeah. I'm going with Arnold Palmer and Wake Forest this week. I just, I just, I think Wake Forest is going to take, take this one. All right, we're all in agreement. So we've got three Pac-12 games to end this fun. As we continue right now with Brian Fuller from Kellogg's, he is our celebrity guest this week, picking games. Uh, let's keep things moving, and uh, we will go to game number eight. It's number eight, USC. Uh, visiting UCLA. Uh, actually, 7 against uh, 16, I should say, because I'm looking at the college football playoff standings. So USC is 7th. They're 9-1, and 7-1 and one in the Pac-12. UCLA is 8-2, and 5-2 and two in the Pac-12. It's at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, and I have the honors of uh, starting this one off. Uh, it's going to be a fun game. I like these two teams a lot. UCLA trying to show everybody that they belong in the conversation uh, to be one of the best Pac-12 teams. It's not enough. Uh, just too much. USC is so good, and I think that that continues this week uh, over UCLA in the big in-state rival. So I will take the Trojans to start it off, Brian. Now it's your turn. You know, I came into this. I was all ready to pick USC. They've got a ton of firepower, but I feel like we've picked too many the same. I'm going to zag a little bit. I love Zach Charbonnet. I'm going to go UCLA. Let's all do right. it. Fair enough. UCLA, up to you, Burn. I thought about this one long and hard, too, and I thought UCLA has got it going. But somehow or other, I, I circled USC, so I'm taking the Trojans. All right, that takes us to Adrian. Yeah, I did not want to pick the Trojans. I did not want to have to flip my pick, but I'm doing that right now. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, I can talk myself into this one, and I need points over here, guys. So I'm taking number 12 UCLA, or whatever you said, number 17 UCLA. There you go. Well, it's uh, number 12 on the picks. It's 17 in the uh, college football playoff, or 16 in the college football playoff. So, all right. That leaves us with two games to go. Uh, first, it'll be Colorado at one and nine, one and six in the Pac-12, visiting number seventeen Washington. They are eight and two, five and two in the Pac-12. Uh, Husky Stadium, biggest line of our contest uh, in Seattle. The home team, thirty-one point favorites in this one, Brian. 
Yeah, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, I'm in Big Ten country, watched uh, Indiana transfer Michael Penix Jr. there. Uh, I think he's doing a great job with the Huskies. Got to go with the Huskies. All right, Huskies it is. Uh, Now to you, Byrne. Washington's playing a team that they're 31-point favorites. They might be looking ahead to the Apple Cup, but they're still going to win. I'm taking Washington State. Smart man. All right, Adrian. I really like Michael Penix Jr. as well. Give me Washington. All right, we're all in agreement, so there's a clean sweep. Washington over Colorado takes us to our final game of the week. Number 10, Utah visiting number 12, Oregon. Should be a terrific football game. Utah is 8-2, 6-1 in the Pac-12. Oregon. Eight and two, six and one in the Pac-12. Identical records overall and in the conference. It's in. Uh, it's at uh, um, Autzen Stadium in Eugene, Oregon. A field goal favorite. They always say home team gets uh, a field goal, which means it's pretty much a pick'em game right down the middle. Bernie, start us off for our final game of the week. If I remember correctly, you know Utah beat. Uh... Oregon pretty pretty handily in you know last season's game and then I said you know what it's hard to beat the same team twice to a, a good team twice in the same year then they go to the championship game and they just beat them even worse I think Utah owns Oregon Ooh. I'm going with the Utes look at you I like that man oh man Joe Pesci would be proud of you. Taking the Utes. All right, Bernie. Uh, that's Bernie's pick. What about you, Adrian? Yeah, I got to go Oregon in a bounce-back game. They lost to Washington at home last week. I don't see this team losing twice at home in back-to-back weeks. That's, um, what, I, that's what I said last year about them losing to Utah twice in a row. I'm with you on that one, Adrian. I'm also going Oregon this week. Bernie, you get lucky, and uh, you could be in first place by next week because we disagree on two games. We'll see how that goes. So I'm taking uh, the, the home team here, going uh, Ducks over the Utes. Brian, wrap us up. Two more great quarterbacks, Cameron Rising versus Bo Nix. Um, I know Bernie went with Utah, but not so fast, my friend. I'm going to pull a Lee Corso. I'm putting on the Ducks headgear. I'm going to go with the Oregon Ducks. Fantastic. Oregon Ducks for Brian Fuller from Kellogg's. Final tiebreaker will be the total number of points scored during that USC-UCLA game. For reference purposes only, the total is 76, Brian. So what do you think the total is going to be when it's all said and done? You know, I thought it was going to be high there, but I ended up switching my pick to UCLA, maybe keep the score a little bit lower. I'm going to go 68. I'm going to go a little lower. All right, Brian says 68. Your turn, Byrne. I'm going 72. Kind of high, but a little bit below the over-under. I'm under the over, but over the under, I'm going 72. That's exactly what I picked. (laughs) Exactly down, right right down to the last drop what I picked. All right, so we both say 72. What about you, Adrian? I, I picked 70. All right. Brian, what did you pick? 68. 68. 68. All right. Got it. Brian, good luck. Hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. We get to do it every week with a different celebrity guest, but you were terrific. And will we be fortunate enough to see you in El Paso here uh, next month? I sure hope so. We've had some bad luck the last couple of years, but hope to get back there. Um, and, hey, any day you get to tell your kids that you're being invited on as a celebrity, uh, it's, it's a good day. So this was fun. Thanks for having me. Oh, Thank you. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Terrific stuff. Thanks, Bernie, as always. Brian Fuller from Kellogg's uh, with us here on Sports Talk. Before we wrap things up, um, next Thursday will be the big parade. Excited about that. Uh, the Glasheen via Zinderman uh, Sun Bowl Thanksgiving Parade. But we've got the Sun Bowl Art Exhibit that's already open right now, Bernie. That's right. We opened it last Thursday. We had a 79 entrance, 150 entrance, uh, you know, paintings. 
And there were some terrific, terrific paintings, and it's open to the public. It's free there at the International Museum of Art. Come visit. Uh, again, it's free of charge. Go on there and look at some of the fantastic artists that we have in the Southwest. Oh, that is phenomenal. Yeah. All right, so that's, uh, again, uh, something to keep an eye on, folks, uh, if you haven't made plans to do that. Bernie, great job as always. We'll get a chance to do it again with you next week. Thanks for coming by, and uh, another terrific Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl watch. Look forward to being here next week again. Look forward to having you. He's Bernie Olivas, folks, as we wrap it up here for our weekly chat. Come back with John Teicher and get you ready for UTEP football with Dana Dimmel. 20 minutes away from the Moon Towers Sports Bar, uh, just down the street on North Mesa. It's Sports Talk and 600 ESPN El Paso.